I want to read from the Word this morning, and I think we probably read this early in the Advent, but again, it's such a great text. I want to read it again from 1 John, or from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the word of God that speaks to our hearts, tells us who Jesus is, and what he's doing. Father, we thank you so much for this this incredible day. We thank you for this grand day of worship and we come into your house. Father, I pray that you'll clear everything out of our minds and our hearts. All the things that have been in the past and all the things that may be in front of us. And Father, may we have a singular moment in which we worship only you. Father, I pray today that you will come among us in powerful ways. I pray that your spirit will come and make the word of God a living truth into our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that faith will literally take on a living presence in our hearts. Father, I pray today for those that are discouraged. I pray for those that need your your help in their life and, and your presence and your wisdom in their life. Father, I pray, come alongside them this morning and give them your truth and show them your light. Father, today we commit ourselves unto you in a fresh way. Father, we praise you and thank you for this opportunity of worship In Jesus' strong name I pray, amen, amen. God with us brings peace. And that's the uh, portion of this uh, special Advent series that we've been doing here at the church. And and I appreciate the uh, opportunity to kind of walk into this series with you. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, just one uh, one verse, a verse that's very familiar to you. And no doubt that uh, you've heard it many, many times. We've said it several times here in church already. But um, it's going to, I, I pray that it, it's going to help us to focus on the topic here of peace this morning. 
This was the message of this incredibly, incredible heavenly host that showed up to shepherds. Uh, you've got to imagine, can you just imagine, shepherds out in this field here and these, these folks watching sheep. At, what, what kind of a mundane life that must have been. It's uh, same thing, day in, day out, same sheep, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, this incredible band of shepherds, uh, or, or angels, I'm sorry, this incredible band of angels comes uh, and shows up. And, you know, when it says a multitude of the heavenly hosts, I, I've kind of tried to study that a little bit. What does that really mean? What is a multitude? And, and of course, that varies, but the lowest number I could find was at least 10,000 angels. That's big. And uh, some people think it was even more than that. But let's, let's hold it at 10,000 here this morning. You're the shepherds, handful of you sitting on the Judean hillside just outside of Bethlehem, watching sheep. 10,000 angels show up with the brilliance, the brilliance of millions upon millions of light. See, Connie is sitting in the brilliance of the light right over here. <laughs> this is the time of the year when the sun kind of hits the uh, top uh, th thing there. And so people sit, the, don't, there's nothing wrong with these people. They, they sit like this part of the service and they, then they switch. <laughs> Leland will get it here in a little bit. I keep watching you though. Here's what the Bible says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, 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 goodwill to men, to all humanity. Boy, do we lack peace today. We lack it in such huge ways and when you listen to the news, somebody spoke to me just on the way in and said they listened to the news and I think they turned it off right away because all it was is a clamor. There was nothing peaceful about it. There's anger. All of these things. And then some. I think of the images of Christmas and war. They do not easily fit together in our minds at all. War is cold cruel, hard, does not mesh well with the scenes of Christmas, the warmth of uh, the fireplace and the Christmas tree and the children and all of these things that oftentimes we affiliate with Christmas. World War I began in July of 1914. And to most people, they felt that it would probably be over by Christmas that year, but it didn't. It lasted another four years. The battles were intense and life, life was dangerous at the, at the very least. New weapons, tanks, lethal things like mustard gas were being used on humanity for the very first time. Life in the trenches was brutal and gruesome. It was wet, it was cold, there was constant fear. And it was against this backdrop that on Christmas Eve 1914 that German and British soldiers took peace into their own hands. I want to show you a recreation of this. Jenkins, I'm clean. No. 
Was traute hochheilige Paar, Holy Infants so sad Sleep with Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, schön. Um, schön. Christmas. This was a, uh, just in case you wonder where we got this, this is a piece that was actually an advertisement for a British grocery ch store chain. Sounds unusual, doesn't it? It's like Fairway and Hy-Vee get together and do something. And uh, this Christmas truce was never repeated. By the way, if you do want to look at that again, just simply go out to YouTube and put in World War I Christmas truce that'll come right up. This truce was never repeated, but for a few moments, it's interesting that enemies place their humanity above their war responsibilities and they claim peace in a very powerful way. I doubt if there's a person in this building, I would be very surprised if there would be anyone in this, in this room today that doesn't have a desire for peace for their life. Many people are greatly troubled and they deal with a variety of daily turmoils. And some people have more than others, that's for sure. They have to deal with difficulties and worries and stress and, 
and tribulations, all kinds of things that, that, that actually become a, it's, it, it's, it's like a solvent that just continues to dissolve away the peace that God wants to bring into our lives. His peace. His peace. You know, the idea of peace dominates in the Bible. When you begin reading in Genesis, you find that peace was a very common denominator. Mankind was at peace. The animals were at peace. God was at peace. And then something cataclysmic happened, and it was sin that entered the world. Sin became a, like a, a San Andreas fault that split the space between God and man. And the result of that thing that was a gigantic, unbelievable tsunami that rippled completely across the entire created universe. And peace, peace fell away, along with many other things. Sin disrupted that peace. Sin disrupts peace today. You know, I can make a commentary on what's going on in Washington right now, but I'm going to tell you right now, they're rid of that sin. And you know it, and I do too. Put sin aside. Cause sin to dissolve, and you have something that works. In the Bible, there are more than 400 references to peace. Most people tend to think that peace is uh, merely the absence of trouble, the absence of conflict, and that is partially true, but the Bible has more to say about it. In fact, the Hebrew word is shalom. It's a good word, and it's an expansive word. It means far more than kind of what our English word peace says. Shalom has two two aspects to it that's important. It talks about perfect welfare, perfect prosperity, and happiness. It not only means freedom from trouble, but the things that make you happy in your life. The second phase of that, the second part of that is also important. It describes right personal relationships, relationships with other people, relationships with God. When I have the peace of God, I have relationships that work between one another. When I have the peace of God, it means that God blesses my soul. It means he provides in great and wonderful ways in my life. This is peace. The New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul begins every one of his 13 letters in a similar fashion, grace and peace to each of you. And he closes many of his letters with the words, peace be to you all. He's talking about the material things of life and the things that make us joyful and happy and he's also talking about relationships. He speaks this to the church. The church needs to be the model of peace. The church needs to be the model of healthy relationships and godliness. One of the great problems we face as believers is that of anxiety concerning the future. I'm no different than you. I have anxiety about tomorrow. I have anxiety about things that are a month away from right now. 
as if I could do anything about that. But we all deal with this, don't we? We all deal with this to one degree or another. A few weeks ago, my, my, my white Buick began to act up and I had anxiety. <laughs> On several levels, actually. We all get caught up in this. It's easy to be caught up in this world of worry. We're good at that. If there's one thing that humanity is good at, we're good at worrying. We're really good about it. Jesus spent much of his time when preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the problems of sin and worry. And I want to put a little formula up on the screen for you right now. I want you to understand this. I want you to take this one home with you today. It has been well said that worry is borrowing trouble. And here's the formula. We borrow trouble from the future, we add it to the problems of today, and worry becomes the interest that we get to pay on. Worry. We pay on that. Look at that formula carefully. Think about events in your life. Probably you don't have to think back all that far. And you borrowed some, you borrowed from the future, you added it to today, and guess what? We're paying the interest on worry. We have a lot of farm families in here. We plant the crop in the spring, the corn's in the ground, and what do we do? Why doesn't it rain? We need some rain. Why, why? We need rain, we need rain, we need rain. We've got to have rain. Then it rains. Just in the nick of time, right? Then it rains. And it rains today, and then tomorrow, the next day, three days in a row, four days in a row, and we start. I wish it would stop raining. I wish it would stop Are we not like that? <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but I'm just saying, this is how we live our lives. It's not easy for us to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when he was talking about this, in the span of nine verses, he tells us three times, quit worrying. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about stuff today. You can't do anything about it anyway. Quit worrying. Allow God's peace to settle into your mind and into your heart in a, in a very special way. It seems like when, when I approach Christmas, oftentimes there's many things to think about of course, but I also think about the tens of thousands of people who are lonely, who are troubled. I have read that psychiatrists and, and Christian counselors have overloaded schedules during this time who find the Christmas season difficult, more difficult because of the loneliness, because of the isolation that some people feel. And that's very real. That is very, very real. And we, we, we need to think of these people at this season, especially people that have lost loved ones in the, perhaps in the last several months. The difference it is this Christmas. Who's missing? Somebody at that table on Christmas Day is missing. And there is a, there is a loneliness that gets attached to that and an isolation. I think Christmas is God's reminder that we are not alone. 
I've written this before, and I've said this, and I've I want you to hear it again, that Christmas is, is, the, is, is taking our spiritual GPS and calibrating it for what's ahead. When I look at that manger, when I look at the fact that God came among us, that he himself left heaven, came to be born in a stable I need to recalibrate who I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, how I'm getting there, all of these things. And once again, refocus on who God is and what he's, what he's done in my life. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Think of that. That's incredible. That's stunning. This, we're talking about the creator of the universe, of everything. And he put on flesh. He came into this world like that little Bradley that Jim's holding right now. I'd pick him up and walk around with him, but you know what happens to me and kids. I got him right now. Come on over here. No, no, I'm not gonna pay, I'm not gonna take him from you. I just I don't, no, yeah, I'm I'm positive. I just, I just think it's important for people to understand that Jesus was just like this a couple of thousand years ago. And his mom held him. His stepdad held him. And we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Think of that. Think of those little hands. God spoke in worlds and universes and, and, and solar systems came into existence and we're on one of them. That's powerful. If anybody doesn't understand the love of God, I don't know what I could possibly say to help you grasp the infinite care and love of God who would send his son knowing that 33 years later he would die on a cross for our sin. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so I assure you of this. My friends, Jesus Christ is here. He's among us. He's with us. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he means it. He's with us this morning. The Christmas message has not changed. A lot of things have changed, but not the Christmas message. After a couple thousand years, Christmas still reminds us that God is, is with us. And this is one of the greatest times of the year to ask Christ to be real in your life. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to reside on the very throne of your heart and of your life. You don't do so hot on that throne, but God will make all of the difference. He will be the life changer. He will be the one that will, that will absolutely change everything about you. 
couple thousand years ago, a medical doctor named Luke wrote about these shepherds experiencing a visitation from heaven where angels were praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. An exciting moment there in the Christmas story. The announcement of the angels <clears throat> to the shepherds must have been, I think it must have turned the, the current system on its head. There was a social system in that day, remember? The Pharisees and everything, they were on top of the ladder, top of the heap, if you will. Shepherds, they weren't even on the ladder. They, they were unliked. They were untrustworthy. They smelled and all kinds of other things. They weren't even on the bottom rung. So if God's going to do anything, surely he's going to show up and talk to us after all, we're on the top of this deal. But what did God do? He talked to the people right on the bottom of the whole thing. And he spoke to them. That means something to me. It means something powerful today because if God will speak to shepherds, I believe he'll speak to me too. He'll speak to you. He'll communicate to you. He wants to do that. He's very interested in doing that in your life, talking to you and whispering what he desires in your life. His favor is on all who will humbly acknowledge their brokenness and willingness to accept his gifts of, <clears throat> of love and grace and joy, and only Jesus Christ can bring them into your life. Nothing else will. You can try other things. Lots of people try other things, and they come up empty every time, every time, every time. Near the end of Jesus' life, he spoke these words to his disciples shortly before he was arrested. He says in John chapter 14, verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid because I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you something that the world... There is no drawer, there is no container that can be opened by the world that will, <clears throat> that will offer peace. But God can. God can do that. Just about every service I end with a blessing. We believe in blessings around here, not benedictions. Benedictions means the end. I only reserve that for the funeral. We believe in blessings way, way, way back in the Old Testament. Thousands of years before Jesus was born, Moses spoke, and he spoke these words that you've heard many times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. Numbers chapter 6 give you peace. And that word conveys again such a rich blessing of completeness and provision and right relationship with everybody. A couple of weeks ago, Joan and I kind of made a, we, we made a visit to Betty Brinkman. Betty's here this morning. And Betty, uh, I know she had some doctor appointments and everything like that and we took, the, we took a few moments and went out. I just love visiting with Betty in her home. Always love 
with her and Phil, too. Because Phil always guaranteed a cup of coffee and cookies. It was a guarantee. <laughs> Betty sat there, and we talked, and we visited, and something just struck me powerfully. Betty said, I have just peace. Peace didn't come because of the doctor's appointment. Peace came because of what was in here. In her heart, her walk, her relationship with Christ, I have everything. Peace. It's peace. Many people would probably describe this time as a hectic time, busy, frantic, overloaded. It could also, there's also relational conflicts and pressures at work and illness and you name it. Peace sounds like a long ways off. And if this is where you find yourself today, I want to encourage you. Jesus Christ shows up in the middle of storms. Did you know that? Right in the middle of the worst storm of your life. Look for him, look for him to make an appearance, to show up. And to bring with him, bring with him his peace that he'll desire to surround you. Mark chapter 4 tells us a great story. Talks about the disciples. They were on the Sea of Galilee one evening. Now you've got to understand something. These people, these guys are professional fishermen. They knew how to run a boat. They knew the fishing business they had been in storms. They knew what waves were all about. They understood wind, the works. They'd seen it all. But tonight, the Bible says a furious storm. That's how it describes it. A furious storm struck suddenly. And everything looked bad. Waves crashing over the boat, water in the boat, all of this wind that was described as contrary. Guess who's in the boat? Jesus. Guess what Jesus was doing? Sleeping. And you say, well, what's the deal here? Jesus, I'm in a storm right now. Is Jesus sleeping in my storm? Well, not exactly. Not exactly. Let's finish the story. They woke up. Jesus said, do you really care? I think Jesus cared because Jesus woke up. He arose and rebuked the wind and said to that angry sea three words. Peace be still. And the Bible says the sea became calm as glass. The wind subsides. Everything. That's the power of God bringing peace into your life. In the midst of storms, in the midst of the hectic, chaotic schedules of our lives, in the midst of trouble, all of these things, God can bring peace and you can walk in it and live in it. In reality, God is always there. And he's with us and knows all about the winds that swirl around in our lives. And 
He's able to see beyond these things and his power can bring us peace and this is the kind of peace that doesn't diminish with time or, or the strength of the storm. What Jesus offers to you is not emptiness, but instead he offers fullness and a peace that is continually being renewed, a peace that surpasses our understanding. He offers peace. It doesn't get empty. Instead, it restores, it becomes restored and offers. The enemy would like to convince you, and listen to me, some of you need to know this and hear this very well. Because I think you're getting played by the devil. The devil would like to convince you there must be something wrong with your faith. There's something out of whack with how you believe about God. And so this is why you have turmoil. This is why you have struggles. And this is why you don't have any peace. And that's the devil's voice. Listen to me carefully. God disagrees with that argument. God fully disagrees with that because in Romans chapter 1, or chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. None. If you're feeling condemned because your faith isn't working or you think, or the enemy is thinking something must be wrong, something's out of, out of kilter in my faith, you're wrong. You're just simply wrong. Stop it. Listen to what God says. He says there's no condemnation. That condemnation didn't come from me. It came from the enemy of your soul who wants to imprison you, who wants to lock the doors of a jailhouse of worry and consternation and ineffectiveness and fear and all other kinds of things that may be going on. Don't condemn yourself. Janet, Janet, if you could come. I want to speak to people also who simply need to allow God to take control of your life. to give you forgiveness of sin, to live in your heart because today's a special day. Let me, let me ask you something. Give yourself a gift today. That gift isn't under your Christmas tree. It's not under the stocking. It's not in there at all. But it can come into your heart and into your life. It can be so real. It can be so real, so incredible that you can walk out of this place a different person, a whole person, a person that has peace in their life, a person that is not worried about a tomorrow, not worried about where am I going to spend my eternity in particular. Where's that going to be? We're talking about heaven, we talk about hell. There are choices. Those choices are made right here in this life. Make a choice, make a decision. God has given you a moment today to simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Let him in. Let him sit on the throne of your heart and your life. I'm not talking about the knowledge you might have in your head. We got plenty of that. I'm talking about in your heart. The Bible says it's out of the heart 
the issues of life. It's out of the heart that I make the decisions of eternal life. And that will make all the difference in your life. Let him govern your life. Let's face it, you've tried governing your life and how's that working? Not all that great. Let Christ govern your life today. I like what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as he closes that small book, that letter. He says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way every way God is telling me I'm able to replace that inner fear of your life with a great powerful peace one last thing peace write this one down peace is not the absence of conflict but the presence of the confidence of God that's big. The presence of the confidence of God. I am confident that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm confident. God doesn't lose his grip on my life. God doesn't come along and say, look, you, you, really, you really blew it this week. That's not how it works. You, you got, I, I can supply you a better theology from the Bible. God holds on when we can't hold on. I give you peace and I give you confidence in tomorrow. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the peace of God that truly surpasses all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that during this uh, service today, during the music that's been sung and, and, and the message that we've shared here this morning, I pray that there are people today that are ready to make that decision, that want to make that decision. They need to make that decision to allow Jesus Christ to not only gain access to the throne of their life, but to actually sit on the throne of their life to be the governor of their hearts and lives, of, their, of everything. Heavenly Father, I am asking you in the name of Jesus right now to help somebody in this room to seriously, seriously, simply pray along with me. Seriously pray. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Pray that right now with me. Come into my life and be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I recognize today I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I can't work for my salvation. But I accept you as the Savior and Lord of my life. I know today that you died for me on a cross, but you also rose from the dead. And today I make you the Lord of my life, the Savior, and the King of all. And by faith I do this I want to live for you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand with me, please, for the blessing of God? Hallelujah. Raise your hands. Lift them up good. Father, may the Lord bless and keep these people. Cause your face to shine upon them and give them that wonderful, wonderful peace. Father, I pray that you'll send them out the door today with, with joy in their hearts, with victory in their lives. Send them out as the emissaries of Christ to be the light and salt of this community and this world. Let them be blessed of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.